going to read um, from Luke's gospel. Uh, bear in mind the Bible, the gospel, when it was written, did not have chapter and verse numbers in it. So we're going to read from two chapters. We're going to read from Luke chapter 18, uh, beginning there at verse 35. There's Bibles on the tables at the front. If you want a paper version, um, then come and get one. Um, there's free movement, mostly, in the service. So Luke chapter 18, verse 35, and we're going to read through to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. I think it's going to be up there. Look at that. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd go by, going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Today, we're thinking about and joining in the celebration of 50 years of Tear Fund, uh, a jubilee year, a time to look back. And I had hoped by the miracle of modern technology to be able to put up on the screens a fantastic timeline that Tear Fund Scotland has on its website. Um, so if you would like at some point to go to Tear Fund Scotland's website and have a look at the resources that are to do with um, uh, on our watch, you know, uh, the, 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 the poverty uh, focus, it's the first thing at the top. And if you click on that and go into the portal bit of the website that is to do with the Jubilee celebrations and scroll down, you will come to a really fascinating timeline, which charts 50 years of Tear Fund from its beginnings. And did you know this? Do you know why it's called Tear Fund? 
the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. That's why it's called Tear Fund, the Evangelical Alliance Relief Fund. That's what it started as in 1968 um, in response to uh, a time then when there were 40 million displaced people, refugees in the world because of various wars uh, and crises that had happened or, uh, recently. And so <clears throat> the, uh, th this a committee was formed, and there's a really interesting picture on the website of, uh, uh, of, of the, the earliest committee who met and had a really simple basic meal, what we used to call in the olden days a hunger lunch. Uh, and they had this basic meal, and in the middle of the table, they had two sets of silver candelabra, just to emphasize the, di the difference between the richest and the poorest in the world. And then as you click on through, it charts all the milestones in Tear Fund's journey uh, from when they started selling goods to responses to specific crises, whether it be war, whether it be HIV AIDS, whether it be earthquake in Nepal, whatever it be, and, and the response. And, and it's incredible in 50 years to see how many millions of pounds have been given and have been uh, spread out, dispersed through Tear Fund to church-based Christian projects in churches throughout the world. How many millions of people have played a part in Tear Fund in, in raising that money and also in being the agents of its use in countries literally all around the world? How many millions of hours have been given by volunteers and uh, activists and so on and people working uh, and supporting and volunteering with Tear Fund? How many hours of uh, prayer have been given? The impact is just colossal and goes all around the world and has impacted enormous numbers of people and continues to do that so that although there is not a chronic, there's not an end yet to chronic and severe poverty as Tear Fund continues as we all long to see, Certainly, it's been halved. Statistically, the numbers of people living in extreme poverty have been halved. And that's fantastic. That's fantastic for the millions of people for whom that is a reality and a truth. And so we've got this picture of an organization that over 50 years, over time and space, has been an agent in the hands of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit to address God's heart and concern for the poor and for justice and for people to know the gospel in body, mind, and spirit. It's not enough that people just have uh, uh, an experience of rescue from poverty if their spiritual reality remains unchanged. But neither is it acceptable if people have an experience of God and that does not spill over into compassion for the poor, or indeed if you are in the poor, amongst the poor, uh, being used by God to make a difference for other people. So, the, the, so globally and in terms of time, a massive difference by God the Holy Spirit to bring life transformation to many people. 
And I wanted us to look at these two men in this story. Because I don't think, you know, if I had to take one chapter division out of the Bible, I would take this one out. Because I think actually putting Zacchaeus into a new chapter uh, obscures the fact that these two stories are connected. <laughs> these two stories belong together, and I'm going to make the case for that. <laughs> you tell me if you think I'm wrong. Well, for one thing, they're both Jericho stories. They tell the story of Jesus on his approach to Jericho. Mark, in his account, actually has the Bartimaeus episode as Jesus is leaving Jericho. But on the outskirts of Jericho, it's Mark that calls him Bartimaeus. It's the same story. Jesus is on his way into Jericho. And, of course, the story of Zacchaeus takes place in Jericho, so after he's come in. And I want to invite you just to set these two guys against one another and to see where they are different and where they're the same. Because at the most basic level, we can say, well, one guy was poor and one guy was rich. The beggar was poor, quite obviously, and Zacchaeus was rich, a chief tax collector, the man who had the means to give away all that money by the end of his encounter with Jesus. But we have two men who, not just in terms of their economics or their financial standing, but two men who, as they're described in the story, their physical position echoes their social and economic standing. Where is Bartimaeus? He's sitting at the roadside begging. So he's as down low as it's physically possible to be. Where is Zacchaeus where we find him? He's up high in a tree because he's a short guy and he can't see. But he's up high in a tree because in terms of his standing in that community, in terms of his position, he was as up high as it was possible to get. Sure, the people saw him as down low. <laughs> so in that sense, he was alongside Bartimaeus because he was a Roman collaborator. Jesus says, this man too is a son of Abraham, so he's Jewish, and yet he's a chief tax collector collecting taxes on behalf of the Romans. So he's the chief tax collector, which means he's got tax collectors underneath him. He's the foreman. He's the boss. So in terms of the Jericho economy, he's the man holding the thumbscrews on his own brothers and sisters in amongst the people of Israel. So he's pretty high for a short man. And he's up a tree because he can't see, but he's up high and Bartimaeus is down low. Now in monetary terms, Bartimaeus is poor and Zacchaeus is rich. But of course we know from the story that each and both of them were poor. Bartimaeus financially poor. Bartimaeus, blind and unable to see, therefore to work, and dependent on the charity of those who gave to him. Zacchaeus, although financially rich, we have to assume was somebody who was socially poor, relationally poor, despised in the community, and somebody, therefore, who knew a poverty in his life because his wealth could not give to him all he needed. 
We could make all sorts of psychological connections between his stature and, and all sorts of things. But Zacchaeus was regarded in Jericho as a sinner and therefore viewed with contempt for all sorts of reasons. Interestingly enough, when we put the two stories side by side, we find something else. Both men wanted to see. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus says, Lord, I want to see, because he was blind. And then just a few verses later on, in verse 3 of chapter 19, we read about Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So two men who wanted to see in different ways and for different reasons, and yet both of them had a blindness. Interestingly enough, Bartimaeus was blind, and yet he could see. He could see that Jesus was the Son of God, or at least Son of David, which is code for the Messiah. Anyone who's, who's addressed as Son of David in that world was perceived to be the Messiah, because that was the expectation the Messiah would be a son of David. And so this blind man, even though he couldn't see who Jesus was, could see spiritually that he was the Messiah. He had faith that went beyond the physical limitations of his sight. Zacchaeus, who could see, could not see who Jesus was. And of the two men we find represented the two ends or two of the most significant areas of Tear Fund's work. Because one man was in need of rescue and salvation and grasped it by faith. He stopped Jesus in faith and he got something. And the other one was stopped by Jesus where Jesus stopped at the bottom of the tree and was challenged not to get something, but to give something. And the work of Tear Fund is about engaging with the people at the roadside who have nothing, engaging in compassion in ways that help them to see Jesus and know who he is, and at the other end, to challenge power and the people and the in the high places, and to actually stop and challenge and call out to those in high places, and yet to do so not in an aggressive judgment way, but in a way that won the heart of Zacchaeus, in a way that won the heart of a man who was himself impoverished in, every, in a completely different sense, but by winning his heart, by winning him to salvation, was able to challenge the power base and was able to unblock the financial, the fiscal logjam in Jericho. Make no mistake, if you go for the most powerful financier in the town and win his heart so that he gives away half and gives, or, uh, and, and gives back four times as much as he's robbed, you have substantially altered the economics of a town. And so Jesus was engaging at the level of ordinary care and compassion and making a difference for the one and releasing a testimony of a blind man who could now see 
because that transformed life would speak volumes to the community of Jericho that had got used to seeing this guy sitting there. And in the same way, the salvation of Zacchaeus released the block on Jericho financially, economically. And so that's what, as Christians, we're called to be about. That's what Tear Fund is called to be about. It's called to be about making a difference for the one at the roadside begging and listening to them when everybody else in the world wants to tell them to shut up and go away because you're inconvenient. And asking that one, what is it you want me to do for you? And that's what projects in, that, that Tear Fund partners with and, uh, through Christians around the world are, are doing. And Tear Fund is going to these partner projects and saying, what is it you want us to help you do in Jesus' name on the ground? What is it you want us to help you do to bring relief and freedom and transformation for the ordinary lives at the same time as bothering the people in the high places? Whether it be make poverty history, whether it be uh, campaigns at government level, advocacy on behalf of the poor. I began by talking about the global scope and the 50-year time span of Tear Fund. But, but let, me just, let me just bring it down to a, a local level. I was doing some reading yesterday. I don't know if any of you know the name of a man called David Naismith. David Naismith was born in 1799 in Glasgow on the 21st of March. His parents were described as respectable in circumstances and eminent in piety. His grandfather, David's grandfather, uh, Mungo Naismith, was the architect of St. Andrew's Church in the Square, which is just over the east side of the city center. His parents, quite well-to-do, were members of the college church where David attended Sunday school, and he went to the city grammar school, so a boy of privilege. And at the end of his time there, his teachers reported that he had learned absolutely nothing despite diligently attending every class, because David, it seems, was not the brightest light in the street. Due to his poor learning, David's parents sent him to a friend who owned a manufacturing business where he became a bound apprentice, apprentice which meant he lived and worked at the factory. The factory closed down, and, and, and the, the man that he had worked for was very pious and godly because David was a committed Christian, and he went every Sunday to his Sunday school class. It was the mainstay of his life, and it was the, the foundation of his faith in Jesus, which was to be the transforming power in his life. But the business failed, the factory closed, and it was transferred to somebody else. And the man, uh, the, the, the man who had owned the factory, his brother-in-law took it on, and he was a very different character. Mean, a bad employer, and David was extremely badly treated with the other apprentices, and he stayed there for three years. And his outlet for all this misery was the Sunday school that he attended at the college church. And he'd become very conscious of the poor conditions which affected lots of people living in Glasgow in the early 19th century. And when he was, get this, when he was 14, he and two friends set up the Glasgow Youth's Bible Association. 
to purchase Bibles and distribute them to the poor in their homes. And David <laughs> became the secretary to the group, age 14. But he soon realized how impoverished the people were in mind and spirit. And the group started to visit people in prison. And he realized that giving lots of the people Bibles was pretty ineffective as they couldn't read or write. And so David applied to become a clerk at the religious institution rooms. And despite his lack of training or qualifications, he got the job. And this group, we're getting to the point, brought together various religious groups and became friendly with a wide group of clergymen and influential laymen. And in 1826, David Naismith set up Glasgow City Mission with a group of these friends. In March 1828, he married Frances Hartridge. Their first son was born in Ireland. They went on to have five children. Having founded Glasgow City Mission, he then traveled to other countries to establish a movement there, funded by benefactors, including a Miss Oswald. He traveled to the United States and Ireland in 1830 and 31. In Canada, he founded 16 missions and a further 16 in the USA. He set up the American Young Men's Society. On return, he went to live in London with his family, and he founded London City Mission in 1838. David Naismith died on Christmas Day, 1839. He died in poverty, and his friends set up a fund to support his family, and he's buried in Bunhill Fields, opposite the Wesleyan Chapel in London. If a 14-year-old with no education in the power of the Holy Spirit can set up Glasgow City Mission, which in eight years' time will be 200 years old, and London City Mission, and 32 missions in North America. Not bad for a boy with poor education, huh? Think of the reach and the impact of that one life. You see, God put a fire in his heart in the early 19th century because of the poverty and the need in Glasgow. And David Naismith has carried the torch and done his thing, and he is now with Jesus. But you see, it's down to us now to pray, to give. Never imagine that it must be somebody else better or smarter than me. You know, I bet Bartimaeus, for all his lack of qualifications and education, had a pretty big impact in Jericho. And so whether it's seeing the release of the Bartimaeuses, whether it's challenging the power of the Zacchaeuses in the love and the grace of Jesus, the work is not done yet. It's been done for 50 years by Tear Fund, by millions of people around the world was done by David Naismith in spectacular fashion and continues to go on uh, through those missions that he set up. But what about you and me? Because it's our turn now. It's our turn now. I'm going to hand back to Fiona, and she's going to lead us in our prayer time now.